Well, good morning, church. Oh, good morning. I have to give a shout out. My, uh, my boy's here today, and uh, this is his first time in church, so we love you. Love you, Doc. Give it up for my son. You know, I love you, Dominic. <laughs> oh, man, what a special Sunday. Um, uh, Joseph has been, is a good friend of Sarah and I, and, and we have grown to really know them and, and love him and his family. Uh, his family is near and dear to our hearts. And if you just feel led by the work that he's doing and you want to support the pastors in India, feel free to email us. Just go to our contact page, email the church, and we will send you uh, your way to Joseph, and he can kind of tell you more about how to get connected. But uh, as we begin, let's just pray and uh, invite God to do his work amongst us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we need you. We need you today, God, to help us to see what we can't see on our own, uh, to help us to hear what we can't hear on our own, to help us to know what we can't know on our own, and God, to, to help us to do what we can't do on our own. And so, God, I pray for, that you would give all of us in here a posture of humility, to receive your living word. And through the work of your spirit, would you use your living word to mold us and to shape us to be more like Christ. We need you, God, and it's his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, a couple uh, years ago, I went over to my next-door neighbor's apartment, uh, Demetrius and Trish, to hang out with them, watch some football, eat some good food that they would always make for me. And when I was hanging out with them, I met their brother, a guy named Mike. And I learned that Mike was just released from prison after spending over 20 years of his life behind bars. And check this out. He wasn't only just released from prison. He was exonerated. He was convicted of a crime that he did not commit. And through the endless work of the Innocent Project who took up his case, he was finally freed. And I remember my neighbor, Demetrius, telling me about Mike. He's like, man, Mike has been in prison for so long that he doesn't even know what an email is. Right? Like he went to prison in like 1997, and then he just got out. I mean, can you imagine that? He's like, he doesn't even know what an email is. I was hanging out with him, and, and someone gave him a, his baby niece, a nine-month-old, and in his lap, and Mike just said, man, this is the first time I've held a baby since I was 19. So we built a relationship with Mike, and Mike invited us to his birthday party, his first birthday party as a free man. It was at Catholic University, and it was in one of those conference rooms, and the room was packed. It was an all-white event. So me and my wife, everybody in there were dressed in all-white. Everyone, the room's packed, and then Mike came in as the last person and got a hero's welcome. And there was love, there was feasting, there was dancing. It was one of the best nights of my life, and <laughs> I just was proud to be a part of it. And then Mike got the microphone, and he started thanking everybody. He started thanking God for giving him the strength to persevere, thanking his family with, for being there with him. And then in the corner, he pointed to this kind of dorky-looking white guy. <laughs> and he said, I want to thank my lawyer. 
who worked endlessly to see that I could become a free man. I'll never forget that. In this passage that Stephanie just read to us, the author of Hebrews is making a case that we have the same type of advocate that Mike had, but we have a greater advocate. We have a savior who is not, who has liberated us, not from the crimes that we didn't commit, but he has liberated us from the punishment, from the crimes that we did commit. That his reward, that his righteousness has been transferred to us because we have been given a great advocate. And so what I want us to see today as we study this passage is that we need an advocate. We need a mediator. We need a defender in our lives. And so we're going to see three things. First off, we're gonna, I want to show you that we have a fundamental need for an advocate, for someone to defend us, for someone to be our champion. Secondly, I want to show you how this text shows that Jesus meets the need, uh, meets our need for that advocate. And then lastly, I want to show you how that actually changes our life. So our need for an advocate, how Jesus meets that need, and then how this actually changes our life. So let's get into this, our need for the advocate. You know, when we read Hebrews chapter 7, I'm not going to lie, it's confusing. <laughs> um, me and Matt talk about it, and I think we're still kind of cloudy about it, right? So if you've just like not really been following Hebrews, or you're just kind of going along every once a week and you read this, you're like, what is being said here? This seems ancient, this seems archaic, there's this guy named Melchizedek, there's this, you know, priest and covenants and oaths, and it's just like, man, I'm you know, I'm just trying to raise my kids here, you know, <laughs> like, and so what is going on here? So let me, I kind of have to nerd out on you a little bit, all right? So just hang with me, but I, I promise you it will uh, hopefully impact your life, okay? <laughs> so when we hear this idea of priests, let me, I, I want to talk to you about what this priesthood is all about. Uh, you know, the Jewish people knew, they knew that they could not just go to God by themselves, they knew that God was a holy, a righteous God, that you couldn't just step in God's presence and advocate for yourself. Why? Because God's holiness would, like, evaporate you. And so you, they knew they needed someone to advocate for them. And so they established, or really God established the priesthood. And the priests were the mediators, the advocators, the defenders, the champions of the people of God. And priests came from the line of Levi. So remember, Joseph, um, remember uh, Jacob, who was later renamed uh, Israel, had 12 sons. And one of the sons of Israel was Levi. And God said that only priests could come from the tribe of Levi. Not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. And their job was to be this mediator, to sacrif do sacrifices daily, for the people of God, <clears throat> and to kind of act as a, as a middleman, right? And so um, this is what priests did. They were called to be, they were men who had to be kind of above reproach and be of high character. 
And so they would offer these sacrifices for God. And do you remember the tabernacle? Remember when the, the Jewish people were wandering in the desert? There would be this tabernacle, this mobile temple where God's presence uh, dwelt. And so regular people could be in the outer uh, courts. The regular priest could go into this place called the holy place. But then there was a special place called the holy of holies. And that was designated for only the high priest. And the high priest's job was to oversee the priestly activities, but his main job was to perform a sacrifice for his people once a year, which was called the Day of Atonement. And so the high priest would get ready weeks before to do these kind of ceremonial cleansings because he had to make sure that he could not walk into the presence of God unclean. And then on the Day of Atonement, he would have these two goats, right? And one, he would, there'd be one goat, which we got the terminology scapegoat, where symbolically they were to kind of cast the sins of all the people onto this one goat and kind of send it off into the wilderness to represent that the sins have been kind of, uh, have gone away. And then the second goat that the high priest would literally slaughter that goat and take the blood and go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, which was the Ark of the Covenant. And Jewish tradition says, now this isn't scripture, but this is Jewish tradition says that the high priest, there was a rope around the high priest. And if the high priest were to mess up, was not clean or kind of maybe did a a kind of a wrong kind of act in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would die. And because no one else could go into the Holy of Holies, they had that rope where they could drag the body out. You see, The Jewish people knew, even though we look at this and this seems ancient, this seems kind of out of touch, the Jewish people knew that they needed an advocate. Someone had to stand before them in the presence of God. And we have this need too. We might not be in this kind of ancient rituals, this tradition, we might not be Jewish people, But I think we know that we need an advocate. There is a fundamental desire that we have. Did anyone watch the Meghan and Harry interview on Oprah? Okay, maybe I watched it twice, okay? (laughs) And the thing that they kept saying over and over again, whether you agree with them or not, they kept saying, you know, our family didn't have our back. We didn't have security. We didn't have protection. And what they were basically saying was, We didn't have an advocate. You see, we need an advocate. In every area of life, physically, we need an advocate. Children, they cannot represent themselves. They need their parents to advocate for them. Professionally, when we apply for a job, yes, our resume gets us in the door. Yes, we have to have a good interview, but it's our references, right? People who are advocating for us. Um socially or politically, just the cry, right? The cry, Black Lives Matter, not the organization, but just the cry, Black Lives Matter, is a cry of a community say, would someone advocate for us? Would someone see us? And we need an advocate, even spiritually. You and I know that our life is on trial that we will have to give an account for the choices 
for the beliefs and for the actions that we did with our life. Whether you're super religious or maybe not that religious, there is, a, there is a belief in most of us that we know that when we die, we are going to go to the heavenly courtroom. And the question I want to ask you is this, is do you want to go alone? Or do you want someone to be with you by your side to defend you? You see, if you were to go alone, come on, you would not measure up. And neither would I. We could not defend ourselves. We need an advocate. And so this priesthood in Hebrews 7, it shows us our need for an advocate. And then secondly, the author, the main point of this is, the main point of Hebrews 7 is to show us that Jesus meets that need. Jesus is the high priest that we are longing for. He is the defender and the champion that our hearts crave and desire. Let me show you how this, how this is. In this passage, first off, the author kind of bounces around, but he, he shows us first off the, the weakness of the Levitical priesthood. He says the Levitical priesthood, these aren't the priests that we need because why? In verse 23, it says they're many in number. Why are they many in number? Because they die. <laughs> they keep replacing themselves, okay? It's like, yeah, they could help you for a little while, but then they're dead, all right? Uh, the, they also say that they were made without an oath. I believe um, that is somewhere in this passage, but they were made without an oath. And that basically means that this Levitical priesthood was not meant to be an institution that lasts forever. Uh, then we also learn that these Levitical priests were actually flawed human beings. They weren't anything special. I always feel that way when someone's like, oh, you're a pastor. Could you pray for me? Could you bless your house? And I was like, you don't really know me. You know, like, I don't know if you really want me to bless your house, right? And he says, these are flawed people. And then what I love is, these priests, they had to do sacrifices. Verse 27, they had to offer sacrifices daily, not just for the sins of the people, but also for their own sins. And so the author is saying, these, the, listen, these priests are fine, but they're not what we need. And then he transitions, it's actually what we need is a priest in the line of Melchizedek. Now you're probably thinking like, who the heck is Melchizedek? Maybe some of you nerds, uh, Bible nerds here are like, man, I've been waiting to hear his thoughts on Melchizedek, right? Uh, your homework this week, everyone, is to try to learn how to spell Melchizedek, all right? But who's Melchizedek? This is a little confusing. I'm going to try to give this in like two-minute explanation. Remember Abraham, the father of the Jews. He went to battle to save his nephew Lot, and after battle, he uh, met with these two kings. One was the king of Sodom, and one was the king of Salem, and his name was Melchizedek. And his name means king of righteousness. And him being king of Salem is also peace. And so commentators say he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, he knew that Melchizedek was superior to him. And so he paid him a tithe. And then Melchizedek blessed him. 
And Melchizedek, interestingly and mysteriously, was also a follower of Yahweh. He worshiped the Most High God. And so in this text, Hebrews 7, the author is trying to say, you, you know, Jewish people, you think the Levitical priesthood is, is all there is because there was this Jewish nationalism that anyone who was tied to Abraham was superior. But then the author here says, oh, wait, wait, wait. There is actually a better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood, and that's Melchizedek because Abraham paid tithes to him. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so what we see is in verse um, 17, the author says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, some people think Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate Christ, but really what I think we believe here at the well is that Melchizedek was just a random kind of God worshiper, follower who had this priesthood, and he didn't live forever. It just meant his, um, there was no one that replaced him. And so there was just kind of this lineage, his, his lineage lasted forever, quote unquote, because no one succeeded him until Jesus came. And so the author is saying Melchizedek is this type, is this foreshadow that points us to the greatest high priest, that points us to the true king of peace, the true king of righteousness, the true priesthood who will last forever. And then the author establishes the supremacy of Christ. In verse 26, he says, Jesus is the high priest that we need because he's holy, because he's innocent, because he's unstained, because he's separated from sinners, and he's exalted above the heavens. There is no priest like Jesus, our high priest. And then he says the work that he does. Jesus doesn't offer sacrifices every day. He offered one sacrifice. And it wasn't a goat, it wasn't a sheep, it wasn't a lamb. He offered himself. And that sacrifice covers over all. One sacrifice for all of mankind. So the author is saying Jesus is the greatest advocate, the greatest priest, the greatest high priest that we long for and that we need. And so when we think of this, when we think of Jesus as our advocate, as our high priest, you know, interceding for us, I think sometimes we kind of think of, maybe it goes like this, like Jesus goes to the heavenly courtroom and sees his father and he says, all right, father, we got to talk about Pfizer here. I know he bleached his hair. It was a bad look for him. Okay. Um, didn't go well. Uh, he's kind of a man child. All right. Immaturity, rough around the ed edges, probably dropped as a baby, you know, a lot of empty space in that big head of his, but God just, father, just have mercy on him. Just, I mean, come on, look at him, feel sorry for him, right? That's probably what we think of sometimes. But no. Jesus is our great advocate. And he goes into that courtroom. And he says, Father, my client is guilty. <laughs> You're like, what? What do you do? <laughs> he says, my, my client is guilty. But you are a just God. And you know that one, a person can can only be tried once for his crimes. 
and can only be punished once for his crimes. And that punishment has already been paid. And so, Father, I demand from you not mercy. I demand from you justice. Because it would be unjust to try this man a second time. His debt has already been paid. That's our advocate. He doesn't go in there saying, pity this person, feel sorry for this person. He doesn't say, oh, woe is you, woe is this person. He says, no, no, no. His debt has been paid. And based off the justice of God, he is declared innocent. Praise God for our high priest. And so how does this actually change our life then? How does this impact us on a daily basis? Look at verse 25. This is the verse that's been sticking out with me uh, this whole week. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Underline this next phrase. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you get that? Jesus he says, he, Jesus always lives to make intercession for you and I. Church, I think we take this for granted. I think we sometimes, we've, we've heard this and so we lose the novelty or the power, but this is Jesus who we're talking about. Paul says in Colossians about Jesus, all things were made by him. And all things were made for him. And in him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Paul says in Philippians 2 that every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The author here says Jesus is exalted above the heavens. Do you, do you feel, do you sense the weightiness, the glory of Christ? No one's above him, and yet his purpose, he lives to intercede for you. The king of kings lives to intercede for you. If that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. And it's an act of intercession, like Jesus is interceding for you right now even if you're in your apathy, even if in your stubbornness, even if you are sitting and you're refusing to own a particular sin or a lifestyle that you, are, uh, that you are perpetuating, Jesus is interceding for you. So how does that change our life? What that shows us is, church, everything that we need can be found in Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, he says, Our Father, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give you all things? What Jesus is doing in the heavenly courtroom is he is advocating for your needs right now. If you're depressed or overcome with anxiety, 
He's interceding for you by giving you his helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and dwell with you and comfort you. If you're overcome with fear, he says, I'm going to give you my spirit right now so that you could be filled with courage. If your marriage is in the pits right now, you've given up on it. Jesus hasn't. And he has given you the model and the power to resurrect your marriage. Paul says, love, husbands, love your wives the way what Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. And he says, husbands, see, be moved by the sacrifice Christ did for you. And then you go into that marriage. Lay down your life. Don't try to advocate. Don't fight for justice. Don't demand your rights. You give yourself away. Every single time you put your wife to, and serve her first. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit to give you the power to do that. And as you submit to that, watch your marriage change. And then some of us are filled with guilt, filled with doubt. And let's be honest, maybe our just past just never goes away. And we just feel like we're not good enough. You know, our community today tells us, instead of maybe seeking uh, an outside source, it tells us actually to, to be about self-love. That we need to love ourselves and learn to love ourselves. If you're insecure, you feel guilty, no, just love yourself. And there's truth in that. We're made in the image of God, so we should love ourselves. But I'll tell you this, that it can only go so far. You know, if you were to say these words... I love me. <laughs> Does that move you? If you were to look in the mirror and just like, I love you. <laughs> Does it, is that powerful? <laughs> but you know what's really powerful? Is when there's an outsider who tells you that they love you. When my wife first told me that she loved me when we were dating back in 2013, I'll never forget it. And then in 2019, we renewed our vows for our five-year anniversary. And she said, I love you again. And that time it meant more because she actually knew who I really was. The good and the bad and the ugly. And then there's God who knows you to your core. Who sees your sin who sees your filth, who sees your rebellion, and yet there is your advocate who says, Father, there is no condemnation. There is no more guilt because I have absorbed that guilt and I have transferred my righteousness onto them. And then the Father looks at us and says, Son, daughter, I love you. And when you know that, and when you believe that, it fills your heart with joy. And you can go into the world, and you can go into your families, and you can go into the, the hard situations, and there's criticism, and there's despair, and there's pushback, and all those things hurt, but your foundation and your anchor is, 
man, I have a defender right now who's declared me not guilty, and not just not guilty, he has given me his righteousness. Praise God for our high priest. And so as we transition to communion, the band, y'all can come up. You know, we take communion, we do this every week, and a lot of times we do this to look back. And rightfully so, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, but Part of communion is also to look forward to the great feast that happens in the end of Revelation where Jesus is going to return and Scripture says there's this huge party and there's going to be dancing and there's going to be joy and all tears will be wiped away and all sins will be remembered no more. All sad things will be untrue. And the scars that we have built in this life, we will not look at those scars with sadness. We'll look at those scars with joy because it led us to this party today. And we'll be reunited with friends and with loved ones. But then maybe we'll get the mic and say, you know, let's give thanks for this moment. And we'll thank all the people who impacted us. But then we will look to our defender. We will look to our high priest who will take the cup for the very last time and drink it as his family celebrates that we have been made new for eternity. And so as we participate in communion today, would we not just look back and thank God for how he broke his body and shed his blood he was our great high priest, but would we also look forward to the great party, the great feast, where we will be able to praise our defender for eternity.